Hey, Church Online, it is an amazing day to be gathered together under the name of Jesus. And I'm so glad that you're with us, whether you're on Church Online, YouTube, Facebook, no matter how you turn in and tune in and join us, we're just so glad you're here. Also, maybe you're listening on the radio. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, My name is Brett. I'm the senior pastor here uh, at West Evans Christian Assembly and at Engage Church. We are a family of churches called the Engage Network, uh, and I'm honored to, to lead all of our locations and uh, thank you so much for being here and joining us. Uh, it's just a real pleasure to be able to do this. And what I love is that in every season that we're in, uh, whether you know, you're staying at home willingly because you, you just feel like you need to take some precautions or you're staying at home because you're waiting for some test results, that we get to connect together in this way under the name of Jesus. We don't have to be under one roof for Jesus to do something significant in the life of you and your family. So, so thank you for watching. I just want to encourage you, uh, this is best experienced in community. So if you're able, gather your family around your TV or your laptop or your screen. Do this with some friends, people in your cohort. Do this together. There's something that happens when we get together, whether that's two people in, in, in the presence of two or three witnesses. There I am, uh, Jesus says, or with, with many, many more. But there's something special about doing this together. Uh, and we get to carry that shield of faith for one another. Uh, but that's from a whole nother message. So if you want to even find that one, go check that out on YouTube from a couple weeks ago. But what we want to do, uh, we're in the midst of a, a series of conversations called Reboot. Uh, we're talking about a hard restart. Let's start in Joshua 24:15. He says, "But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I love how that reads in the New King James Version, which is what I grew up on. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is a moment with Grandpa Joshua. He's gathering together. He's at the end of his life. He just he just led uh, the Israelites into the promised land. They've now pr- possessed it for most of their adult lives, a whole generation uh, uh, experiencing the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But Grandpa Joshua knows a thing or two about human nature. And there's something about the, the nature of our hearts that says when we need God, we, we cry out in desperation. When things are going well, we think it was something that we did. And so Grandpa Joshua, before he passes on, gathers everyone together at a very significant spiritual place, a place called Shechem, where for generations God encountered his people. And he says, we're going to get together at this one place, and I'm just going to ask you this question. Will you serve God with your whole heart? And he puts a line in the sand, uh, metaphorical, and he's like, listen, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Jesus actually echoes uh, this very same thought. This is in the book of Luke, and he says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. So in Joshua 24, 14, he says, Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. In the New Testament, New Covenant, that new part of the Bible, that back half of the Bible, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. In other words, with every part of who you are. Every part of your being. Imagine this. God, who's three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creates man in his own image in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so he calls us to worship him, to follow him, to serve him, to do life with him, with our whole being. Three in scripture often talks about divine wholeness. 
You will only live up to your fullest potential when you have Jesus in your life and he begins to extract the gold that he's placed within you and he leads you and guides you into every season. So he's pulling us into a deeper and deeper relationship. Uh, in in this, this series of, of messages that we've been talking about, what we've been talking about is that hard reset moment. You know when you call the IT office, uh, something's not working with your computer, or you call the Best Buy Geek Squad, and you call them, and the first thing that they say to you is like, excuse me, sir, did you like turn it off and then turn it back on again? Because uh, you know what happens is we've got so many tabs open, we've got so many programs running in the background that sometimes uh, you just need a hard reset. You need to shut it all down so it can come back up and, and operate at maximum uh, capability. And I, I think that's kind of what's happening right here. We took a, you know, we took a break uh, due to COVID, not really a break. The church was never closed, but God used this opportunity. He didn't inflict it, but he's using it to reset our hearts and our minds so we can understand in a fresh new way what he wants to do with the church. The, you know, and I'm talking about the global church in this season. And, and he's, he's talking about refreshing how we understand it in the local context and how we understand it around the world. And I believe we're in the midst of the greatest shift since Martin Luther, uh, the greatest change uh, in Reformation. If you're not aware of what that is, that's just some church history for you. That was the last time there was a huge, huge, huge shakeup in, in the structure of church, and I, I think even the fact that we're we're connected this way right now is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Because not only are we dealing with the greatest church reformation, but we're we're dealing with the greatest communication shift in the last 500 years since the printing press, uh, where everything's changing so rapidly. But now we've got this incredible ability to connect around the world, wherever we are. So if you're watching from someplace far, drop that down in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from. I know we got all, pe- all kinds of people that watch from Australia, in-, in Finland, in different parts of Canada. So you just let us know where you're watching from today. I want to move over uh, to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verse 23, okay? If-, if you're with me, wherever you are, say, I'm with you. Okay, you know, you don't believe me, but I can hear that uh, through, the, through the screen here. Uh, and just type, I'm with you down in the comments. Here we go, John 4, verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. What we've been trying to discover or understand, we've been trying to build a biblical basis for why we do what we do when, with what, this thing that we call church. And we under, what we're learning is that there's actually a plan and a purpose and a template that's laid out in Scripture that, that God has for us in a way that He wants to connect with us. The best way I could maybe describe it is as God's love language, and His love language is through what is commonly referred to as worship. Uh, the best way I could maybe break that down is worship is the thing that Christians call connecting with God through this beautiful tool that God has chosen called music. Imagine that, that you get to connect with the creator of the universe through music, this thing that engages you body, soul, and spirit. And that's broken into two pieces. One part is praise, which is often um, outwardly, physically expressive. And then there's worship, which is inward 
and, and reflective. And both of those things happen together. And there's a way and there's a time and it's all laid out in scripture. We've looked at the nine physical expressions of worship. I hope that if you're watching this at home, that when it comes time for music, you don't hit fast forward. You don't skip it. God wants to meet you in that way. He chose that as a way to connect with you. And if you would be fully invested in these times, and if you would even uh, take a step to stretch yourself, do something a little bit different, explore a different avenue to connect with God, that he will meet you in a new way. It's not a mistake. He's done it on purpose. And he says, come on, this is a way that you can get close to me. So here in John 4, 23, Jesus is speaking to this woman at a well, a uh, Samaritan woman, and he was dealing with all these uh, political issues. He was dealing with, you know, some real like relational issues. He's dealing with all kinds of things. But he said, listen, the time's coming where it's not about a space or a place. He says the true worshipers will worship the, the Father in spirit and in truth. Remember that worship uh, at this portion of time was connected to physical places. There was animal sacrifice required. There's all these things. God says, no, no, the time is coming. And what we understand is that time is here now where we can worship in spirit and in truth. Sometimes we, we get thrown off by the two words. What Jesus is doing in the original language is he's actually using two nouns to describe the exact same principle. So they're, they're tied together. It's a both and situation, spirit and in truth. In truth, we begin to understand um, this is actually a direct shot at Jewish believers in, in one sense. Jeremiah, uh, sorry, Isaiah 29 talks about, um, 26 talks about, uh, don't just worship me with man-made rules and rituals and rote. Worship me with your heart, not just with like going through the motions, worshiping in truth. One aspect of that is that truly worshiping from the depth of our being with, the, with all of our being and worshiping in spirit is actually taking the parameter off to really understand that it's not tied to a physical location, but that every part of your life, everything is spiritual in every part of your life. When you go to work, when you come home, when you're making supper, when you're connecting with your neighbors, that the totality of your life is an act of worship. And so that you worship Worship with the fullness of your heart in everything that you do. And that's what God is looking for. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the characteristics of a worshiper. Now you're like, I, that's a, I don't consider myself a worshiper. Maybe you can, don't consider yourself a Christian. That's okay. What we're talking about is for those of us who want to get closer to God, there are some characteristics or traits that show up in the lives of those who walk closely with God. And we're going to read Luke chapter 7. We're going to use it as a backdrop. It's an unlikely backdrop, but we're going to use it as a backdrop. We're going to go to verse uh, 36. And then we're going to make our way down to 50 if we can make it, because I'm notorious for making it one verse and not making it any further. Okay, here we go. This is John chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. A Pharisee was a religious leader at the time. Uh, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, this doesn't make any sense to us, to be honest. It didn't make any sense to them. It's just awkward. Like there's there's just no way around it. She's just weeping, crying, pouring perfume, wiping with her hair. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now this is where it gets real. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. 
<laughs> he didn't even have to say it out loud. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. So imagine you think something and then Jesus responds right there. He says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but none of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon announced, answered, sorry, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman. He turned to the woman. He turned from the, the, the Pharisee, from the religious leader, from the religious, for those who would bring condemnation. He turned to the person in pain who was at his feet, pouring out her heart. He turned. Jesus turned. It's significant. You should underline that in your paper Bible if you have one. Look at this woman kneeling here when I entered your home. You didn't offer me water to wash from the dust of my feet. That was a normal cultural thing. But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss from that time I first came. She's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Again, a custom. But she has anointed my feet with, my, with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So an unlikely backdrop for a characteristic of a worshiper or a follower of Jesus, how, how does this lady uh, exemplify? And it gets even more dramatic when you begin to understand the cultural implications. So this, this, this well-positioned uh, religious leader, pretty well off, had this big dinner, and it was actually quite common that uh, when there was a big dinner of this type, particularly when there was a traveling rabbi, that those who were poor or who didn't have food were actually able to go and eat the leftovers and the scraps. It was kind of, a, you know, on the surface, of, it's a very generous thing. You could come and anyone could kind of come in and grab the, some of the scraps at the table and they could also hear some of the conversation and some of the teaching. But it also just went to reaffirm the classes that says, listen, you can have what I'm finished with. I value you so little that I'll, I'll feed you what I would, you know, feed my dogs. But uh, let's just reinforce these social stratas. So this woman comes in. That's how she got in the house. She comes in and she falls before Jesus and she starts, she lets her hair down. To you and I, that doesn't seem like a big deal at this time. To let her hair down in that manner is kind of like the societal um, equivalence of like taking your top off, which is kind of dramatic. You're like, wow, I thought the Bible was boring. It's not boring at all. And she starts wiping his feet and pouring this expensive perfume. Now, this is not the same uh, moment that happened in Mark 14. This is a separate moment. Something similar happened there. And it said in Mark 14 that the amount of perfume that that lady poured out was the equivalent of one year's salary. So I don't know what the financial uh, implication was of of this act of generosity, but that act of generosity, I think, is one of those prime characteristics. You could say that a follower of Jesus or a worshiper, someone who worships Jesus with their full heart, their whole heart, they're generous. That's our first thought today, that they're generous. There's a generosity that comes because I've received so much. I'm so thankful for it. 
She pours out the generosity of, uh, of this perfume and this oil and, and she's, her tears are pouring. She's wiping Jesus' feet in, in, in an intimate act of thanks. But really all she's doing is performing the things that the host should have done. She was taking care of these very common customs and just, listen, they didn't take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to pour this out. Uh, I love this from from Bob Sorge. He wrote an incredible book called Exploring Worship. He says this, To some observers, lavish expressions of worship can appear wasteful, but in one sense, there's something wasteful about all of our lives. (laughs) Isn't that true? Like, how how often uh, do I waste, you know, a night uh, scrolling through Netflix or scrolling through Instagram on my phone? And you don't really think about it as a waste in a moment. If you've ever said the phrase killing time, uh, you know, (laughs) there's an argument to be made that says, uh, you know, I'm wasting a moment of my life. All of us have a choice. And I guess if we are left with this choice, I guess... (laughs) Are we going to waste our lives on ourselves or are we going to waste our lives on Jesus with this extravagant outpouring display of love? Uh, Think about this in um, Psalm 96. It says, Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. Bring your offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in all His holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before Him. You see, Old Testament worship, this this first half of the Bible, always had... um, an animal sacrifice in Exodus 23, 15. It says, none shall appear before me empty-handed. There was this idea that when you entered the presence of God, you're coming to the presence of God, that you had to bring something. The same uh, principle exists now that we would come and we would bring uh, the fullness of our heart in our worship, but that actually would bring our treasure, the fullness of our whole lives, which would be financial as well. We're generous. We generously give because he so generously gave. I think about for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. In the next verse, verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge it, but to save it. His generosity, think about this, God the Father gave his son and Jesus the son gave his life willingly that you and I could connect to the creator of the universe. Generosity is in our DNA. And so we give to take care of others. We give to make sure that they can have the same hope in life that we have. We give to make sure they can be fed. We give to make sure that they can experience the fullness of God. We give to break greed in our lives. One who worships God with their whole heart is generous. This is Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. All right. Second characteristic of someone who worships with their whole heart or follows Jesus with their whole heart is that they're expressive. Uh, you, you might notice in, in verse 38, she, she falls down. She's, she's crying. You know, she's, she just has this like very expressive outburst, outpouring. And, and oftentimes, the longer we're kind of in faith, uh, we can kind of get, um, I'm going to just say it as it is, a little hard-hearted uh, to an, a passionate... Uh, uh, display because it's like you should grow up. No, 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 no. We'll talk about that in a moment in the sense of maturity. Maturity leads us to childlikeness, not the other way around. I've heard it often, maybe you've experienced this himself, uh, whether it's watching online and, and Jesus meets you where you are and he speaks to you in, in a powerful moment or it's in uh, in person. Uh, sometimes you just there's, a, there's an outburst of tears, like you just can't stop it. And I, I hear often people saying, man, you said that, and I just, I couldn't stop. The truth is, it's not what I said, it's what Jesus is doing in you. 
So passionate followers are, are, are expressive. Worshipers are expressive, um, expressive around the goodness of God. From, from tears to cheers, it's not one size fits all. I mean, we're all different people. We've got different, uh, different personalities, different ways that we express it. Um, but worshipers are expressive. I think the tears and, and the oil that she, pour, uh, she poured out reflected a wholehearted repentance affection, and gratefulness. Uh, Moving on, looking at the characteristics. Moving on. Uh, Number three, worshipers or those who follow Jesus are unashamed. If you're following Jesus with your whole heart, you're unashamed. So this woman, she's so taken with Jesus, she doesn't allow the perceptions of other people to deter her. She gives herself in this like passionate outburst of tear and perfume and scent and her hair's down and everyone in the room is judging her for what she's doing but she's like no no no, nothing not even the the judgment of another human being will stop me from pouring out my love and my affection she she's really responding to the generosity that Jesus gave her as she finds hope in life for the first time the interesting thing so the fact that she let her hair down we don't know what she did she would be actually classified it says in this in, in the scripture she was classified as like a notorious sinner or, or, or a pretty famous sinner that she was known for a, a sinful lifestyle. There's, there's some speculation that, that she was living in, in prostitution because of the way that she let her hair down. Man, she knows what it's like to be a long ways from God and she knows what it's like for him to pour out his love. And I'm sure that when she looks up at him, looks up at Jesus and she see, sees those eyes of love and grace, she just can't help but pour out even more. She's unashamed and she's undeterred because of the love and the affection that's found in Jesus. You know, the number one thing that keeps us uh, from experiencing the fullness of Jesus often is our pride because we're worried about what it might look like if I can't respond in that way because if I do, I can't let my emotion out. I can't let that expression out. I can't respond. I can't go forward. I can't get prayed for. I can't reach out for help. I just want to encourage you. You don't have to be ashamed. Jesus wants to meet you. And when you allow him in and when you allow him to do what he wants to do, that shame will just fall off. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. Worshippers are unashamed. You know, King David famously, uh, he's an Old Testament king, the guy who killed Goliath. You're familiar with that. He later becomes a king, and they're bringing the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in. And he he just starts dancing in the street. He starts taking off some of his robes. There's some misconceptions about what that means. He has outer garments, and he took all those kingly things off as if to say, I'm going to worship passionately before the Lord as a common man. And his wife got really angry. She says, how distinguished the king looked today. He's, she, she called him a vulgar person, which I think in the Bible is like, probably in real life is a lot more harsher language than just vulgar person. He says, yeah, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. This is 2 Samuel 6. I'm, looking, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. Okay, number four, worshipers are childlike. Those who follow Jesus with their whole heart are childlike. We mentioned that earlier. There's this misconception that I got to get callous with my old age, that I've been there, I've done that, I've seen that. We got to be regal. We've got to be dignified. No, no, no. In Revelations 2 verse 4, Jesus calls out all of us, you know, religious people. We don't think of ourselves often in Christianity as religious, but oftentimes uh, 
we, 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 we want this kind of pious perspective. And he says, no, you have abandoned your first love. You know, I love seeing first dates happen. I love it. I love going to a restaurant and I love getting seated next to them. I love the awkwardness. I love the strangeness. I love the bumpiness of the conversation. I love watching new couples that are just dating one another. I mean, there's just something special about that young love. And maybe we could say it like this. Those who worship Jesus with their whole heart or follow Jesus with their whole heart are in love with Jesus. And it's that young kind of love. But even if we look in Scripture, so Psalm 107, 32 says, Let them praise Him in the company of elders. Worship is the domain of the elders. Furthermore, we look at the elders in the book of Revelation, and repeatedly they're following, they're falling on their face before God. Revelation 4, Revelation 5, Revelation 14, uh, 14 11, 19. Uh, they just keep following the elders around the throne or among the foremost of heaven's example of worship before the Lord. They're unashamed. They're <laughs> They're undignified, they're expressive, they're passionate, they're generous as they pour out. So as we become more mature, we actually become more like a child that says, Jesus, I'm so in need of you. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this in your life where you kind of just realize the longer you're on the earth, you realize how little you actually know. And it brings you back to a state of vulnerability in We could say the same thought in another way, that those who love Jesus with their whole heart are vulnerable and are reaching out saying, Jesus, I need you. And they're reaching out and they say, I I will do anything to be near you and be more like you. And the more that I'm like you, the more childlike I am as I reach out for you. You know, kids have no sense of social cues right? You, you, as a parent, you're like, okay, you can't say this here and you can't do this here. And, and maybe you try positive affirmation, but you know, inevitably kids say the darndest things. And maybe we need a little bit more of that before Jesus, where we just kind of let down the guard of what's okay and, and be honest and invite him into those parts of us that aren't okay. And number five, worshipers, followers of Jesus, they smell. That's right. That's controversial. They smell. Uh, but they carry the fragrance of Christ. <laughs> you ever had that experience where somebody walks into the room and they're like clearly wearing too much perfume and you get a headache and you're like, wow, I definitely know when that person shows up. Like there's just this, this fragrance. The reality is we carry a fragrance. We're carriers of the fragrance of Jesus. That when we, when you walk into the room and you've been in the presence of Jesus, there's this, there's this, you don't know it, but there's a knowing of where you've been. This is second Corinthians 2, 15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. You know, oh, when we moved to Spruce Grove, we looked at like all these crazy houses. One of the houses was uh, a cat house of like 20-some cats. And the owner was still there when we went and looked at it. And, and <laughs> it looks or it smelt exactly like the way that your face thinks that it smells. Like you're just like, 20 cats is not a good situation. You're right. It just, it stunk. The way that it smelt told me something about who lived in that house before. So what does your life smell like? What do you smell like? The truth is the more you're in the proximity or presence of Jesus, the more 
you look like him, talk like him, sound like him, smell like him. Number six, worshipers say, welcome home. Think about this uh, in Luke 7, in this account. Jesus starts calling out his host. He says, this woman is kneeling here. When I entered her home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. She washed them away. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time that I came in, she couldn't stop kissing my feet. You didn't. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has uh, anointed my feet with rare perfume. Worshippers, true worshipers say, welcome home. They create an atmosphere where anyone and everyone can experience the power and presence of Jesus. Worshippers create an atmosphere that says, welcome home. Sometimes I think like we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, our church is open to anybody. But the real question is, is, is your life open to somebody? You might even say, well, our house, like we just help people. Okay, but is your house open to anybody? True worshipers who worship spirit and truth, that dual concept, both and those who follow Jesus one step at a time, they create an atmosphere that says, welcome home, where we invite those into our lives. Number seven. Worshipers come close. Here's what I mean by that. I want to go over the book of James. Book of James, it says, so verse uh, four, verse seven. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. He will flee from you, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalties divided between God and the world. He's just describing the human condition. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jump back in Scripture to Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, here in, at the very end, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, He will lift you up. This is what it looks like. In Isaiah 63, 1, it says, To all who mourn, who all who turn away from their past, to all who those who are repentant, who all who those go, I'm in desperate need of my life. It says this, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So as this woman, notorious sinner woman, lady with the reputation who I'm sure when she got close to Jesus, the disciples were very concerned. Like, what is this? Like, what's going on here? All the religious leaders made up their minds about her. Jesus saw a heart that says, I just need to come close. And as you draw near to God, he draws near to you. But worship as you pour out your love and affection on him, even when you don't think you're worthy or you're not good enough, even when you're far from him and you don't really know what you're doing, but you just know that you're being drawn into relationship with the creator of the universe. When you do that, when you respond, you can even do it right now. Worship always precedes forgiveness. It always happens first. You just say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to pour my whole heart out here. And he meets you in that place. And he says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. You might feel like you're so far away and so undeserving, but the generosity of God says, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. He gave his life for you. 
we worship, we sing, we're expressive, we're generous, we're passionate, we're unashamed, we're childlike, we're carriers of his presence and his fragrance. We create a welcome home environment because we once were not at home. We were without a home in a distant place that was so far from him. And now we do everything in our power to create a place and a space that you can encounter Jesus. All this happens as we connect with God, with our whole lives, with our whole hearts. And as we worship him, as scripture would say, in spirit and in truth, this happens in a church service, it happens at home, it happens in, in your car, it happens at the office, it happens at the park. But really, it's the breeding ground for an internal change and transformation. If you've been looking for some hope in life, you can find it right here as you draw near to Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, I'm so thankful for my friends that we could spend this time together, that we could learn more what it is to follow you passionately and wholeheartedly, that we could see these characteristics. You know, you called so many people in the scripture your friend, and that's our heart. We just want to be your friend. So thank you for dying for us, and thank you for making it possible that we could live life as friends. I pray for my friends right now who feel so far away, I pray that you would meet them right now, exactly where they are on whatever device they're encountering this on, that you would meet them right now, that they would just know that there'd be a sense of knowing. For some of you, there's going to be a sense of calm or a sense of peace. For others, there's going to just be a stillness. For others, there's going to be this warmth or this love. That's Jesus himself. At your house and your family right now, It might feel like chaos as everyone's running around doing whatever, but this is your moment to encounter God. Would you come close? Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm going to open myself up. Maybe you're a believer. You've been following him for a long time, but you've actually lived a life that's closed off because you're worried about maybe what somebody else would think or what you've already done. Jesus wipes that slate clean and says, man, just imagine what could happen if we could just come close come close. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.